You are listening to the sermon podcast of Redemption Chapel in Stowe, Ohio. For more resources and information, go to redemptionchapel.com. Well, I'd love to let you know, I am really grateful for my wife. Right now I'm calling her my boo thing. I don't know how long it's going to last. It seems short. It might be inappropriate, but I don't know. She's my little boo thing and I'm, I'm rolling with it right now. My favorite thing about my wife, one of my favorites is God has blessed me with a wife that loves his word. And I love that we get to talk about it, you know, and share about his word. And recently, me and my boo thing were talking about second Corinthians and man, it's, it has been a little rough, right? I mean, we have been slogging through this book. And as we're talking about it, at the end of this book, I mean, we're talking false teachers, idolatry. Some scholars would argue this church is a dumpster fire, right? And here we are in this mess of a situation. Paul is writing this letter, and it's difficult. It's a difficult letter covering difficult things. But here we are. We're going to finish it up next week. But this week, we close down kind of the body and content of the letter. And I say that if it has just felt like a lot of heavy passages, I want you to kind of buck up. You got one more week, and then we're going to kind of get on to other series. But I also say that because you also need to buckle up because we got one more. <laughs> See, is Paul is closing down this letter. This church is a dumpster fire. Paul is going to take out the fire hose and try to douse this dumpster fire one last time. And so I do want you, I mean, spoiler alert, we're talking about how to confront sin. Not necessarily my favorite thing to cover. If you're new to us, you get a second donut today. Put it on my tab on the way out. Please come back another week. But we, as a church, we go through books of the Bible and we don't dodge the hard stuff that we don't want to preach on. That's what this passage is, how to confront sin. So let's dive into that and allow God's word to speak to us. We're in 2 Corinthians 13. We're picking it up in verse 1 if you're reading in your own Bible, but we will, as always, have it on the screen. So please follow along is I read 2 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. 
For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. So you see, again, he's closing down the body of his letter, the content portion. And you see kind of the whole point of this letter and why he wrote this letter. Now remember, this is a church that Paul planted, gets the church off the ground, appoints elders, and then he goes on to do more work because Paul is on mission. And then he gets word that this place is a dumpster fire and they are just deep in sin. And so he goes back. He mentioned that for the second visit. That absolutely blows up. And it gets so contentious that Paul has to leave. And then now he is all throughout. Again, this is Second Corinthians. He's writing more letters. And so what is kind of the main purpose for him? He's writing this letter to prepare for his third visit. So the whole point is, Paul's like, look, I'm coming back. Please don't make me drop the hammer. Like, will you please get things straight? You know, get your act together. Stop just diving into all these sins so that when I come, I don't have to be harsh and drop the hammer. So here he is. He's warning them. He's confronting them yet again on our sin. This is a God-given call for us. Now, as a church, we mess this up all the time. Like, he's confronting the church and confronting Christians on their sin. Oftentimes, as the church, we like to confront the world on the sin and then be really, you know, kind and gentle to each other. But Paul was very firm in confronting the church with their sin. And he says, well, how can I judge outsiders who haven't agreed to Christ's standard yet? And so here he is calling them to confront their sin. Now, who wants to do this? Right? It's December. It's busy. Like, who in their list? Like, I got to get all the Christmas shopping done. I got to get the decorations up. I got to confront more people in their sin. Busy, busy December. Who's adding that to agenda? Nobody wants to do this. And he, you know, Paul gives us kind of like a master class of like, here's how to biblically confront someone in their sin. And that's what we're going to talk a lot about. Okay, how do we do this well? As Christians, we are called to do this with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But man, I think before we even get there, you know, I want to cast a little vision of why this is so important. Because, man, if all of us sit here, no, okay, I know how to do that, but I am not compelled to do that, what is the point? So before we dive into the how, let's look a little bit as the importance of why we would do such a thing. I mean, this is not very popular. Like Talking about sin, truth, confronting sin, it's like my old starter jacket in high school. It's not as cool as it once was, right? Like confronting sin, not very trendy but I think it is something we need to be about as Christians with our brothers and sisters in Christ. How did Paul get up the gumption to do this? This isn't fun for anybody. For Paul, there are two things I want to highlight. One, he had an accurate view of God. 
See, this wasn't just about them. Paul knew, and he kind of builds his whole case of why he's doing this off of his view of God. Did you see in the middle of the passage, here's what he said. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. That's the capital H, he, not just because it's the beginning of a sentence. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about God. As I was preparing for this, I mean, I began to get convicted, and it became extremely clear to me. I, and I can safely say, we don't take sin nearly as serious as God does. And how do we get there? I think... Again, here's the problem. We have these vague notions and we just like this idea. Okay, God is gracious. God is forgiving. And that, of course, is true. But we can state it in such a way that God is very weak towards sin and sin isn't a big deal. Well, God's forgiving. So that means sin is not a big deal. And Paul has to remind them, understand who God is. He is not weak in dealing with you. God is gracious, but God is just and holy. And we can't frame his forgiveness in such a way that we just write off the righteousness and holiness of God. God is also just. I know God takes sin my sin, our sin, far more seriously than I do. So Paul knew that this was a big deal. But we just think God is soft on sin. Oh, he's forgiving. We all have this just kind of general vague hope that it'll all work out in the end. Everybody I know thinks they're going to heaven. I mean, I've asked a lot of people this. Maybe they don't have like true biblical confidence, but nobody just thinks, oh yeah, I'm sure. Correct that. In my life, I've had one person just admit it. I used to take karate as a kid. And I mentioned that because if you're wondering why you've always been so physically intimidated by me, it's probably the karate, you know. (laughs) I was only like in fifth grade, but I was pretty tough. I'm not going to lie. I watched a lot of Jean-Claude Van Damme as well. So that's probably a part of it. Right, so I remember I had a buddy, you know, and we kept in touch, and a kid, Tony, from my karate class, and I remember, you know, wanting to share my faith with him. It's the only instance I ever remember in my life, you know, we're talking about eternity and the realities of judgment. He's like, let me stop you there. I know I'm going to hell. I didn't know what to say next. Like, it was not a good sharing my faith. It, like, shocked me, somebody just admitting, like, well, Thank you for your honesty. Would you like to not go to there? I don't, I don't know what to say next. Cause most of us don't admit the realities of God's justice and deal with that. Cause we just want to think, oh, God's forgiving and somehow my sins just magically disappear. I'm sure it'll all be okay. God deals with sin. He is forgiving and gracious, but we need to take it far more serious. And that is what Paul is reminding the church. Listen, don't have this soft view of God where he's forgiving in a sense where sin's not a big deal. And I think the other thing that really holds us up, let's be honest, it just seems so mean. Culture has kind of won this war for us to call someone on their sin, to not accept everything about them is unloving. It's a shame. I think 
We got to get to this point where we have an accurate view of God and his holiness as well as his grace. But also we have to understand, I think this is the most loving thing that you can do. Right? What do we know to be biblically true, right? Sin leads to death. God's design is good. Anybody walking in sin, walking outside of that design is walking down a dangerous road that will bring destruction to them and ultimately lead to death. Think about it. What is the more loving approach? Watch somebody continue to damage themselves and say, hey, who am I to judge? You know, I I don't want, I just, that's okay. To just stand by and watch somebody damage themselves, you're telling me that's more loving than sitting them down and saying, I love you. This is bad for you. Please, let's figure out. I'll help you try to get your life back on track. You've got to get that in your head that confronting someone on their sin is the most loving thing you can do. To be apathetic and just accept somebody as they make damaging decisions for their life and let them do that without saying a word, there's no way you can convince me that that is loving. Understand who God is. Paul says, I can do nothing against the truth. That has got to be first. But you've got to understand it is extremely loving to confront someone on their sin. We got to get to that point and understand how God sees it. It's funny, as much as I wasn't excited in preparing for this time, I got excited to have a simple prayer, right? Because my hope for this isn't that you'll be entertained and my movie references are on point and you walk away thinking, oh, that was funny, right? I got a simple prayer coming out of this time. This is James 5. Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And what if God convicts us to take up our God-given right to love our brothers and sisters in Christ? And that those, some of the people that you know and love that have wandered from the faith will be brought back from their sin. If that happens, I'll preach sermons. We'll preach sermons like this all day. So I want us to be exhorted to do that, but I also want us to think, okay, how do we do this well? Again, nobody wants to do it. It rarely happens, and it even more rarely happens well and biblically. So how do we do that in a biblical way, confront people in their sin? First, I want to start with this. We have to be selfless as we go about it, and let me unpack that. Why don't we do it? Right? Most of us won't even get back this first step. Why don't we confront people in their sin? Let's be honest, it's going to be uncomfortable. And if I call them on their sin, it's going to be weird. Oh, he got mad at me. He got mad at me. That's the elf reference member movie reference for the doctor. Right? We can't handle that somebody would get mad at us and we don't want to appear judgmental. We don't want to appear this way. And so we lack the courage to step into this But did you hear what Paul said? Look, I don't care if I appear weak. If you're going to do this, you have to set your ego aside. 
This is uncomfortable. Nobody wants to do this. If Paul was concerned, oh no, what are the Corinthians going to think about me? Or what are the other, you know, leaders going to think about me? Paul outright says it. I don't care if I appear this way or that way to them. If you're so worried about what people are going to think about you, and I don't want to offend people, but that can't be my North Star. Paul says, look, I can't do anything against the truth, only for the truth. So I got to get past the point where I'm so concerned about what they're going to think about me. That isn't what drove Paul. Part of the selfless thing as well is think how sacrificial this was for Paul. What visit is for them? How many? Three. I want you to think of that scenario, right? I think everybody knows somebody, someone again that claims to be a Christian walking deep in sin or on the kind of verge of walking away from their faith. Imagine you had that buddy, you know, in college, you were in a Bible study together. you even kind of did accountability together, but then he moved away and started walking away from his faith. You get word that he's going to kind of blow up his family and he's going to walk away from the faith. So you don't just sit there and go, oh man, that stinks. That's depressing. You buy a ticket and you hop on a plane and do what you can to pray for him, pray with him, warn him, encourage him. And then it gets kind of okay. There's enough kind of footing where you can leave and then you get word that it's still blowing up. You buy a plane ticket again. And then it blows up even worse and you leave. And then you're about to buy another plane ticket. And that seems crazy to us. Like who of us would ever do that? We know those situations. Isn't that exactly what Paul did? Trust me, buying a plane ticket is far less convenient than Paul traveling by ship and all the difficulty. Again, this isn't convenient. Again, we joked how busy we are. Who has the time to really kind of reach out and come alongside that struggling brother? But you have to get to the point, okay, I got to set my ego aside. It will be uncomfortable. And I got to be willing in our busy lives to sacrifice my convenience. Why? Because I care about them enough to inconvenience myself, to risk a hard conversation, might even risk that relationship. But that's what Paul exhorts us to do. And we got to say, okay, this isn't about me. This is about God's truth and who he is. And this is about my love for you and wanting what is best for you. So one, I think we need to check ourselves. Two, I think we need to be soft in our warning. You know, unpack the if possible, because I think that is a big part of it. This is, I think, where churches get such a bad rap, and this is going to be looked down on so much. But remember, the whole point of this letter is Paul is pleading with them that he doesn't have to be harsh, that he doesn't have to be severe and drop the hammer. As you think about that friend to confront... You don't come out of the gates swinging. You come softly. Remember, he was, you know, accused of being too weak. I encourage you even to just start with asking questions. 
you know, as have come to straight to accusation, straight to confronting them, man, we want to come in humble, right? Strength through weakness. We don't come in strong and heavy handed. If everything we can, we want to come in humbly, right? Like if my kids don't say please at the table, I'm not like, go get the switch. It's on. Like, slow down, cowboy. People don't use the switch anymore. And I swear to you, I never have. This is just make an example, right? Right? You don't, that's crazy. You don't come hard out of the gates like that. As you sit somebody down, you come in humbly. You come in gently. You come in warning them. I remember people will ask me sometime, you know, are you kind of one of them fire and brimstone churches? Are you, you know, that kind of preacher? In some ways, I don't know how to answer that because I don't know what they're asking. Like if they're asking, are you just one of those angry churches that just loves to talk about hell and loves to send people to hell and it's like eternity, smoking or not? Well, yeah, I don't want to be that. I want to be as gentle and as humble as I can be. And so should you as you sit down with people. But sometimes I fear people mean, you know, you, you know, are you one of those churches that's going to call me on my stuff? Cause I just want you to leave me alone. I want to live my life however I want to live it. You're not one of those churches that still believes in like sin, are you? Well, I want to avoid that as well. Now, I want to do it gently. I want to do it softly. And I even encourage you, you know, I like that it says, did you know that he quotes Old Testament law, right? No accusations will be established outside of the witnesses of two or three. And I would encourage you with that as well, because I mean, who here, I won't even make you show a, a show of hands, but I'm sure tons of people have been damaged by rumors about them. Right. And you just see gossip goes around. And you've been wounded. And Paul says, look, I, God and his system, we want to protect against that. So we're looking into it. We're not just going off of gossip. This needs to be established by the witnesses of two or three. And part of the process as well, you want to be soft and you want to walk through a process. Now, if, as our church, this is how our church pursues church discipline. If you're a member, you may get notified of the last step that somebody is removed from membership. You can hear that, and that seems so mean and harsh. One of the things you need to understand, and as you confront people that this is a process, you don't start with the severe, heavy thing. You ask questions. I mean, eventually, too, that witness of two or three, Matthew 18 tells us, you don't go this alone. Yeah, first, maybe you sit down with them one-on-one, but if it continues in sin to bring other people along, we'd encourage you, to bring an elder of the church along. And as much as you can, you go about it soft and gentle. But it doesn't stop there, nor did Paul. Severe, but only if necessary. We need to wrap our heads around that. Yes, we need to gently confront people, humbly, but we also need to be willing to get to the place of the more severe, more harsh you know, consequences for sin. I think some of us, again, lack the conviction, but it is clearly something that Paul calls us to. 
I mean, that was the warning in the middle. Look, this has been a process. We've been working with you. But know this, if I come again, I will not spare them. And that's those continuing in sin. Do we have a big enough view of God's righteousness where this is a part of the process at some point if people continue in sin? Again, if you're a member and you've experienced that, where we've gone through church discipline, you get notified of somebody being removed from membership. Know, again, that this has been a slow, and even like Paul says, tearful process of praying, of warning, of warning. And that is essentially the last step, not the first one. I want you to think about this, right? Like, understand that this is the end, not the beginning. So think about this, like one o'clock, right? Browns win the coin toss. They elect to receive, right? And Joe Flacco, first play of the game, drifts back to the 15 and just chucks a Hail Mary. How crazy would that be? One, it's crazy enough. I just said Joe Flacco is the quarterback. (laughs) Wrap your head around that for a second. But two, right? How crazy would that be on the first play of the game? That would be insane. Now, you don't take the Hail Mary out of the playbook, but you only use it when you absolutely must. Throwing a Hail Mary isn't throwing the towel in. Throwing a Hail Mary is saying, I Desperately do not want to lose this game. And even if this isn't the most likely play or my favorite play, it's a desperate play. But it's the only play I have left. And just losing this isn't an option. So at the very end of a game, when you have no other choice, you chuck that Hail Mary. That's ultimately how I see kind of the last step of church discipline of removing someone from membership, right? This is essentially not saying I'm washing my hands of you. It's saying I do not want to lose you to the enemy. And I know this isn't a great play or a fun play, but I'm not willing to just concede your life. So I'm going to give reach in the tool bag, play the only card I can in a last stitch effort to still Try to win, not a game, but to win your soul. Because that is a huge part when you understand church discipline of confronting someone with sin. Particularly getting more severe with the consequences. I think of, you know, a parent. Some of you parents maybe have got to those severe decisions where you finally cut someone off and say, okay, you're out of the house. And it's not because you hate them. It's because you love them. You're saying, I can't keep enabling you to destroy your life. And I know this seems harsh. But you have to understand ultimately why you do that. And this is huge. It is salvation oriented. Right? The heart behind it isn't against them. It's for them, right? That's why you do this no matter how harsh it seems. And I got that last S in. I had to hyphenate it, but man, I got it done, right? What is the goal even of the harsh measures of church discipline? What did Paul say in the midst of it? Your restoration is what we pray for. The goal 
It's always their salvation, their, their restoration. This isn't an angry judgmentalism. This is a loving, compassionate care in attempt to restore somebody. That word, it's kind of like for a broken bone. Something is off and broken. I want to set it back in place so that you can experience healing. Right? We need to be selfless. Get over, set our egos aside. We need to be soft in the process, but severe and willing to be severe if necessary. Get the church involved, and we will take those measures as Paul was willing to, but it's all for their salvation and restoration. Right? That is kind of him walking through the process of why then how do we confront sin? We don't just hope it magically goes away. So I want us, because God wants us to confront sin. If I can make it even just a little bit more uncomfortable here, all of this is assuming we're Paul and not the Corinthians. Right? Man, are you aware of sin out there? But also am I aware of sin in here. Right? He calls us to examine ourselves, to test ourselves. Right? We need to be a people that is willing to confront sin out there and confess it in here. Not just assume God is gracious, he's loving, and it's not a big deal, and I can just abuse his grace. That is a dangerous plan. For Paul, a Christian walking in sin, you could just almost hear his confusion. He's like, test yourself. If you're a Christian, don't you understand that Jesus is in you? Like, how do you do that? To Paul, it was unthinkable to just assume that, oh, because God wants to give mercy, that I can just abuse that and live however I want. God takes sin seriously. It doesn't just magically disappear. It needs dealt with. Do you just think you can, oh, just assume it's not a big deal because God will forgive you that you can walk in sin? That is not the case. That's the beauty of the cross. Where we can, in the most gorgeous way, cling to both. That God is gracious and forgiving, but he takes sin serious and he will judge sin. And those both converge at the cross. We don't have to just get rid of the one to keep the other. If God didn't take sin serious, would he send his son to die for us? The brutality of the cross would be horrendous if it not for the justice of God. That is a good part of God that we need to embrace. So I want us to take sin serious like God does. Serious enough to where coming out of this, if you know a brother or sister in Christ straying, that you're willing to have that awkward conversation and that you would confront them in their sin. And you take it serious enough that you would stop messing around as a Christian and you realize, wait a minute, don't you know that Christ is in me, that I would confess this sin? And we don't have to do it out of fear. Oh, am I going to get judged or am I going to get mercy? It's not a flip of a coin. 
I want to close with this beautiful verse that mercy triumphs over judgment. As you are in a believer, I don't want you to push you to just fear, maybe God's going to judge me because sin is serious. We can have great confidence in the cross of Christ. That his mercy triumphs judgment. That was the triumph of the cross. If we come to him in faith, we can trust that we will experience mercy and grace, but we don't have the liberty of just presuming upon grace, abusing grace and trust that, oh, in the end, he'll forgive me because he's a soft, forgiving God. God takes sin unbelievably serious. So should we. Who is it that God is laying on your heart? It's done so poorly so often. But would you have the courage to come out of this? To have that awkward conversation with somebody else. Reach out to them. We're not just hunting for sin, everybody out there. Maybe this is someone in your family. Maybe this is somebody in your community group. Or that you have been together with in fellowship. Would you reach out to them? And risk having that awkward conversation. And maybe yourself. Would you risk having that awkward conversation? of confessing that sin, of realizing the insanity of it, of a Christian thinking that we can just walk in sin. Confess that and experience healing and restoration. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, this isn't common. God, we confess that this isn't comfortable. God, I believe that this is biblical. And God, if this is of you, God, I believe that it is good. Father, would you begin to convict us to take sin seriously like you do, serious enough that you would send your son to die for us so that we could have forgiveness. God, would you give us the courage and the conviction to confront sin out there in those that we love and in our own hearts as well. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redemption Chapel. Go to redemptionchapel.com for more resources and information.